Hello again and welcome to another Wednesday briefing with Jeremias and I. Today is the 28th of September or the 27th if you're listening to this on Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for joining in. How are you Jeremias today? I'm good. I've been uh, not working at the river today. I've been home training dogs and building an, another dog kennel for the puppies that we have. Um and yeah, just been doing some stuff here. I'm going up to the river tomorrow, though, to continue the last week or couple of weeks for this year. And then your kind of pace changes, then, right? You're kind of back to concentrating on getting things ready for the the winter season of dog tours. Yeah, uh, that and uh, also picking up uh, hunting a little bit more. I've been hunting moose mm-hmm. every week, and now oh for yeah, the- you caught a moose this week. What is it? Since the second weekend of September, so not that long, a few weekends. But we're gonna continue until mid December or something like that. Picking up the pace a little bit more now when mm-hmm. I'm done with the river work. So it'll be a little bit more hunting, more dog training. I'll be doing mm-hmm. some work for a forestry company, uh, clearing some trails, marking some trails and building some boardwalks and stuff like that but that, that's not going to take up nearly as much time as the river work does that will be fun and the snow won't be far behind that no, exactly, and hopefully we have a good freeze before that and then snow and then, yeah. even if it is a lot of fun things it's not like, oh now you can relax when you're not working from somewhere else there's always stuff to do yeah and i guess it's kind of a little bit about what we're going to talk about today and you know, we'll get into that but um just wanted to give a shout out to morgan williams uh, one of our patreon subscribers he, he has some interesting thoughts on last week's episode regarding our patagonia sort of conversation and you know people uh buying stuff that they don't need and etc and it's going to read out a message from here that i got he said um Loving the Wednesday briefings. Uh, this week's episode was close to my heart. Uh, it gets my goat when companies offset the damage that they do with profits. Nine times out of ten, they produce products that we don't even need. Um, if you want to be green, then buy local from artisan makers and producers. Yes, they tend to be more expensive, but the quality of service is usually worth it. Um, I agree. I mean, we always we try and we do try and uh, kind of. Uh, buy things as locally as possible. I think it's probably one of the easiest things you can do, yeah. Isn't it? Before you're, we're talking about getting into like repairing your own clothing and blah 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 blah. But um, he mentioned uh, one a local company that he works with or that he knows rather, um, a company called Heb Troco. Uh, they're a British company and they make everything. Almost everything, I believe, uh, in Britain itself. So everything down to the buttons, the zips, um, they kind of uh, seem to get them all kind of locally. And for all intents and purposes, they seem to be doing something quite cool. You know, it was started by two guys in a shed on Kickstarter, and they're like now manufacturing everything as locally as possible, shipped from stock, plastic-free packaging. Um, and they seem to be using quite premium materials as well, like Yorkshire wool, Entile, salvage denim. Um, they might be an interesting group to have on the podcast, maybe at some point, if they were interested in coming on and talking to us about how you deal with making quality products, clothing, 
kind of sustainably. So it could be a nice lead on from our last from last week's episode at some point. Also, to, thanks for all the feedback, and I'm glad that the the patches they finally seem to be making it into people's hands. Uh, Finish post is extremely specific about how you send things. If you hadn't seen my uh, Instagram story, I was talking about how essentially if I bring a letter into the post office and it's got anything except paper in it they basically you have to like fill in a little form to say what's in it and then you have to like manually enter the address and they have to put the address into their like little ipad thing so like that's that this entire process takes like between three and four minutes per letter so like sitting standing there with like 15 envelopes like oh my god this is going to be awful so i'm still trying to think of a more sort of streamlined way to get patches out to you guys but if you are interested in getting your hands on one yourself you can get one by joining our instagram or sorry our patreon page as i was saying last week it really does help us keep the the podcast going we've got some articles up there on kit recommendations and we'll be expanding those every week bringing your attention to books and documentaries and decent kit that Jeremias and i use and anything that we're kind of consuming i'll be putting up a weekly recommendation sort of article up there there's also some bonus episodes um such as the one we did on situation situational awareness i just reposted that one today and so if you are on our patreon you'll be able to see that and there's also a whole bunch of episodes coming down the line that Jeremias and I are in the middle of recording right now. And they'll kind of come with a PDF, sort of a cheat sheet that you can kind of follow along with. So, yeah, so thanks to everybody who supports us on there. It's just five euro a month. And, you know, I think you'll be getting a hell of a lot for your kind of book in the next kind of few months. Uh, so if you're interested in subscribing to the Patreon, it's just patreon.com forward slash trial by fire podcast. And we actually have a new Patreon uh, subscriber this week, uh, Andre Jordy. Um, so thanks very much, Andre, for supporting us. That's really, really cool. Shall we move on to our topic of discussion for today, Hermes? So we're going to talk about a documentary called Happy People. I was talking to a uh, friend of ours on Instagram a bit about it because I saw that he was watching it. Um, and... He mentioned that we should talk about it on the podcast, and it's something that I've been thinking about that it would be fun to do. And then I told you about it, and you had not seen it, which to me was mind baffling, just because of how <laughs> what? how have you not seen it? How good the documentary is, and how relevant it is for the whole. I guess the, the, these are my words uh, and my interpretation of it, of, of the whole sort of bushcraft and outdoor life and and uh, the lifestyle that Instagram wants to portray in and around bushcraft. It's super relevant for it. So that you hadn't seen it was, yeah, it, it uh, shook my world. <laughs> I, I, was, I was shocked by how shocked you were that I hadn't seen it. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for, for people who haven't seen it yet, um happy people uh from what i understand now and i have seen it i've watched watched it up uh before kind of coming on and talking about it here but it's a four-part series and each one is an hour long and um, you can find this on youtube by the way so there's like the original youtube version is free to watch um there's also a netflix version of it uh, that was narrated by Werner herzog now, it's not, I yeah. didn't find it on the Finnish uh, Netflix. Maybe it's on the Swedish one. Maybe it's on the Irish one. I'm not sure. Um, but however, if you can't find that one, you can find it on Netflix. And essentially, it's four episodes 
I would say. But the Netflix one is about an hour and a half only, so you're missing out on so much good stuff if you're watching the Netflix version. Right. So, um, so, so you go for the you go to go for the YouTube version. Gotcha. And I'll put a link for this for that in this episode as well, so you can kind of go and watch it. It's essentially four episodes, and it's split over each season: spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And it follows this sort of um, group of Russian trappers. They live in the in the in the Siberian taiga in this tiny little village called Bakhta, I think it was called, um, on the Yensi River. And it's just this beautiful documentation of life in a very isolated place where people rely on the people around them, the animals that they can kind of trap in the wintertime, the self-reliance of themselves and of their families and things like that in this sort of subarctic climate um super fascinating uh life that they live and it's an interesting title happy people because at times i didn't mm-hmm. think that they did they'd actually seemed very happy there was a lot of sort of political things creeping into their lives but i think the way that they want to live is quite simple and quite like sort of cyclical and sort of holistic with uh with, the, with nature in the world and probably closer to the way we would have lived a thousand years ago. Yeah, I mean, the the um, because I do enjoy the documentary so much, I can see the name Happy People being very s- suiting for the documentary. But at the same time, if they put a different mm-hmm. uh, title on it and just edit it a little bit differently, they it could have been called Miserable People. And... It would have been exactly. seen very, exactly. very different. But I mean, the the it it's really is following. I can't remember how many uh, trappers now, but a few trappers. Uh, I would say maybe five. Yeah, five something six. like that That's over over the course of a year to see what their life is and the activities that they do, uh, how they live with the seasons, which seasons are important for what task, and just like you say. Uh, it sort of gives us a perspective of how we lived and it's not even you don't even need to go back back thousand years ago you can go back 200 years ago 150 years ago here in northern sweden like in 18 late 1860s is when uh swedes start to travel over to the u.s because we had three years of really 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 bad crops and basically winter like meteorological winter throughout a full year during the summer as well uh so sweden was extremely poor just in 1867 or something like that and before that people were living basically the way that they are portraying in that video of course with a lot less misery because of the times that, that it was uh, but in a lot of countries in in this sort of northern hemisphere you don't need to go far back before this was yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess no. yeah, a thousand years is quite a stretch, and and in fact, um, there is a couple of guys in it who served in the Second World War. I think there's one or two left when the show, when the film was made. I think it was back in 2010. So I would love to know if that guy's still alive or not. Probably not. Um, but it's just one sort of Second World War veteran in this in the in the village, and he still hunts, and he's kind of uh, he's even talking about that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like ah, back in my day, you know. We would have caught fifty of these a day, you know, as opposed to twenty over the season, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But I guess it's it's also for me it was kind of a nice segue from our last from last week's topic, not to kind of keep harping on about it, but because these people are so extremely self reliant that like every scrap of clothing they own, every bit of food that they eat, and like every animal they trap and kill, like it directly impacts their lives. And you know the equipment that they have is relied upon and is understood so intimately because they don't have. 10 different knives and 10 different axes they have like one or two of each thing maybe you know and those things are relied upon year after year after year and when they break they fix them and when they tear they sew them and there's something that's super super sort of uh satisfying about seeing an old trapper with a pair of overalls that are more patched than actual original cloth you know it's it's kind of cool it is. It is very nice. It's one of the things that I that I also I also threw in a Swedish word there that I also uh, that I also really enjoy about it. It is the simplicity, like this the snowmobiles that they are driving. It is as simple mm-hmm. as it gets. The two strokes. Yeah, exactly. The boats, while they are not simple, like they are very well made. Of course, they were talking about that the boats were from what wood were they talking about? Like cedar boats, cedar cedar planks. I think. Well, well, there's a couple of different ones that they were using. There was ones that they had where, where they were dugout, yeah, essentially dugout, yeah. you know, similar to what you would have, like yeah, like a cedar dugout. And then there, but then there was like the really long yeah, boats that they like have, haul snowmobiles specifically on. for hunting. Yeah, exactly. So those things can carry like, a, a, like a, what is it like a hundred gallon ca- barrel of, uh, of oil and gasoline, or whatever I don't know yeah. what's a gallon a, a barrel yeah. of gasoline yeah, and, and, and the snowmobile and some other tools and stuff like that. The snowmobile. So it, it is it is impressive with how a snowmobile is of course not locally sourced by any stretch of the imagination, but the boats, the skis like part of the one episode is them making the skis that they're going to use for the winter uh, and how they are putting skins so skins is something you use with of course old school skis but also with modern skis but that's a uh, the modern ones are it's 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 plastic and uh, fake hair often synthetic yeah. skin yeah uh, that will give you the same effect as if you put a moose hide or a seal hide. Seal hides were quite common in, in some regions of, of northern Scandinavia and in Iceland. Sorry, not in Iceland, in uh, in Greenland, I think, maybe, where they put seal skins on some of their stuff just to make sure, on some of their uh, sliding equipment, to make sure that it doesn't slide back in an uphill. Yeah, example. yeah, when you're going up hills. And this is cross country skis, not yeah. downhill skis. You want the grip. You <laughs> want the grip forward. Exactly. You want the grip forward, but not sliding backwards. So all these things is sort of a look. Looking at it, it's like I said earlier. Like it's 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 all what this idea of, of bushcraft for me is. They managed to make a four hour long documentary about. Mm. how to live it rather than how to know as much as possible gotcha right yeah yeah or, or play or have it as a hobby like and of course like it, it's not it's it's not it's not that it's anything wrong with having it as a hobby or a lifestyle or whatever it might be but there's a a huge difference with 
if we look at some of the ones that are living in my local area, that they're not nearly as extreme as these guys are, but they might be extremely well uh, versed in the forest and know a lot about a lot, but they might not be nearly as good as most people that has done a lot of courses on how to make a fire in different ways. Mm. So they might be carrying, I know that some people are carrying just a tiny little flask of um, uh, lighter fluid or like, um, what's the mm-hmm. fluid you use for alcohol stoves? Uh, like, yeah, like white spirits or and like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a tiny little bottle of that in winter or mm-hmm. in fall when it starts to get more damp to always make sure that they have a fire, mm-hmm. that they can get a fire going. So these small little tricks where you're trying to be efficient but at the same time not carrying a lot of things then you might you know narrow it down to i only need mm-hmm. x y or c the more the more you know less you carry sort of idea that of course it might be good to know we use fire for example uh, multiple different ways of, of making a fire but it might only be relevant to know one if you're out there doing a lot of different things if that makes sense yeah it definitely does and this is, again comes back to probably one of the first conversations we had Jeremias was because i had never really thought about it in this way and having met you and seeing the way that you guys live up in the north um really kind of put it into perspective for me and you can kind of see where the likes of morris kohansky and stuff would have been getting his sort of um his inspiration for teaching bushcraft um in kind of in canada and things um with the intention of it being sort of reliable practical information in that in that region or in that area where he was which is i suppose almost like uh, laterally probably quite similar to to where you are um a little bit further south in uh latitude right. yeah okay but essentially, I mean, similar winter conditions, you know, when you're talking about, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's minus 25 or it's minus 30 or if you're, you know, the principles mm-hmm. are kind of very much similar. And, you know, it, it's true. And But I, I guess the thing is like that it well, that was the first conversation we had was experiential versus sort of knowledge acquisition. And there's definitely room for both. And there's mm-hmm. definitely times where, you're going out to the woods to do something very specific yeah. so you don't necessarily want to have to concentrate on you know some base some primitive way of making your fire that day because you're going to get decision fatigue you're going to get you know there's only so many things you can be thinking about as well when you're trying to cram in uh this the time like you know the, the sort of tasks and stuff in the woods particularly in the winter seasons when you've got so little light if i'm going out there to i don't know let's say for you for example if you're going after hunt to hunt it's like you're not going to be spending half your day worrying about like finding you know the perfectly dry dead standing um you know whatever tree to make a bow drill set from because that's just ridiculous and likewise with these people like this is their life livelihoods they're going out and they only have a very small window of time in the year to kind of get their trapping done and their hunting done and in fact based on the documentary they they spend a lot of time even pre-season traveling to each of their cabins to kind of get them ready for the upcoming season so that mm. that all of that stuff is taken care of the wood is stacked the the wood is chopped the fire is kind of or sorry the food is sort of uh, already there so that when they get there all they're thinking about is the task at hand which is their 
their fur trapping, you know? And m- mind you, like, my thoughts on this is not even a little bit or a dig on anyone that really likes the skills aspect of all of these things. And of course, like, mm-hmm. um, there's space for everything, but there's also, there, there's, it's also so nice to see these documentaries of people sort of living it rather than mm. um, having it as a hobby, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it would be so nice to sort of meet people or hear about people that has it more of a integral part of their life. And I don't mean that in a negative way at all, at all, but it would be interesting to see like which things are relevant for that person specifically that having it as, as their life, what is relevant and what is sort of superfluous, uh, whatever that words mean. But I, I think I agree with it. Sort of, <laughs> sort of like arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or arbitrary, but yeah, yes, sort of, sort of in that in in that vein is what I'm what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like if you're talking to one of these people who are extremely practical in their sort of tasks, and you were to show them this, that, and the other, I'm sure they would be like, you know, they seem like quite humble people and very willing to like accept new information or new ways of doing things uh, and adapting. Because if they didn't, then they wouldn't be able to do what they do. But it would probably also be like, well, why would I bother? I've got gasoline. Why would I, <laughs> you know, why would I do this? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there, there's, there's so much. I think there's, it's, it's easy to discuss it in this way when we're both sitting in a mm-hmm. warm room talking on a podcast. But I think there's so much, there, there's, right. there's, there's so much going into these. Dis- yeah, there, there's so much going into these discussions of of practical versus. Uh, hobby versus lifestyle versus like all of these things and and yeah. uh, to each their own uh, mm-hmm. but the documentary for me is really the point to or the point I do watch this documentary roughly once a year um, seasonally so during autumn I watch the autumn before winter I watch the winter and 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 so it okay. goes and every time I see something mm-hmm. new that is like oh that's very relevant. And a very cool way of doing it, and it's something as simple like uh, during when they are fishing with nets, the floaters that they are using is rolled up birch bark, and that is quite common here as well. And it's extra fun for me to watch this documentary because it is so relevant for the region and yes. uh, climate that I live in. Yeah. So it's really sort of looking back to how how people had it. And how people were able to make a living and carve out an existence in similar regions as that I grew up in and still live in. I agree with you. And I I do love when you learn something new or you kind of experience something new and then you go back to a book that you maybe hadn't picked up in a couple of years and you see a chapter that maybe wasn't relevant at the time. And you're like, oh, okay, this all makes sense to me now. Like, for example, I would say in Ray Mears Out on the Land book, a lot of those kind of boreal winter uh, chapters didn't matter to me one iota like three years ago or four years ago until I spent a bit of time with you up north. And now all of that information is is gold to me, you know. Um, but very quickly before, um, before we kind of wrap this up, there was another element of the uh, part of the video that I did really enjoy. 
or the film was this sort of idea of like seasonal adjustment and being being kind of almost forced to work alongside the seasons and making use of whatever sort of light you might have in any specific season and i think it's particularly relevant or sort of poignant for me right now because we're kind of coming into autumn now into like the later months of the year or the darker months of the year and people do tend to start to feel quite sad and depressed in this sort of time of the year traditionally in, in our sort of modern world for want of a better word and there's a there's a it, what is that thing it's called seasonal adjustment disorder or something where people can't adjust to the seasons and i think it, I, I actually personally now obviously i'm not a goddamn scientist or sorry, a psychologist but I would ask the question rather than sort of say anything else. Is it that we can't adjust to the seasons or our modern lives won't let us adjust to the seasons because no matter what, whether it's June or whether it's November, you still have to get up at the same time. You still have to get in your car or public transport and you still have to sit in an office for the same amount of hours of that day, regardless of how much light is in that day left. Um, is it any wonder that people are so suffer this time of year because you're not our bodies are not biologically designed to work exactly the same way regardless of the time of the year like traditionally this would have been a time of sort of starting to gather and sort of nest and maybe you know unless you're a hunter of course or a trapper then you, you're kind of you've got a, a seasonal work ahead of you but even then you're out in the light you're out while the sun is shining getting as much kind of trapping as you can done before it gets dark again and i think that lead that lends itself to a lot of the reason why these people are quote-unquote happy is because they're allowed to follow the natural flow of the way in which humans have probably for however millions of years sort of existed and i think that's quite an interesting and to do what they do yeah to get 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 by like they they, I can't remember which episode they're talking about it, but they, I think it's the the autumn one, uh, where one of the trappers is talking about how doing these things it's such, it's so uh, satisfying because you can always see the work in front of you, and you can always sort of tick things off your box. Yep. 100% and there's there's also a psychological aspect to that as well and um, which I remember talking to John Hudson about he trains the guys that train the guys in these sort of search evasion rescue kind of things um, but he was saying that like you know our brains aren't designed for uh, delayed sort of um, what was the words delayed gratification response so like it's very difficult for us to think long term that if i grow this seed now that in the august or you know in the autumn it will be ready to pick conceptually our brains are it's not that's not our brains aren't very good at that what they are good at is like if i make this stick if i make this sharp stick and i go and stick it in an animal then i arrive or i you know gather firewood and then light the fire and feel the heat from that immediately that immediate gratification is like the way in which our brains are wired um apparently so i can totally understand that guy the hunter saying that you know you can see the the you can see the rewards in front of you when you can see that stack of wood kind of chopped or that you know huge duffel bag of furs you know well if you want to see a documentary that is very well made with 
fantastic dogs, cool looking scenery, a life that is easy to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Romanticize. Romanticize, thank you, exactly the word I was looking for. Romanticize, but might be hard to uh, live, but you still want to romanticize about it. This is the, this is a good one. Think about it like it's like life below zero, but set in Russia and not made dramatically sort of uh, and more humble. <laughs> yeah, way more humble, and it's also got a badass nineties kind of dance soundtrack. So <laughs> check. <that out>. Yeah. <laughs> let us know if you have seen it. Yeah, let us know if you've seen it. Uh, if you're gonna watch it, let us know if you do get a chance to watch it. What you think of it? It was new to me, so. And I was really, really glad that I found it, or that I was kind of recommended by Jeremias to watch it. Um, I will put a link to this ep- to that video, the YouTube video in this uh, episode. So, if you're looking for something to watch this weekend, I think uh, I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, really quickly before I go, just want to say thanks again to everybody who's uh, supporting us um, on our Patreon. And it, again, if you if you do feel like helping us out, it's five euro a month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash trial by fire podcast um yeah awesome but until actually i think this friday there's a there's a a really really cool interview i think we mentioned it last week Mm -hmm. Um, with tristan we sat down with tristan yeah we sat down with tristan last week uh tristan gooley one of my favorite authors of all time um so that'll be coming to you in two days so stick around for that um but until next wednesday i'm gonna say Goodbye from here in Finland and have a good week. Have a good week.